again. Good morning. What a wonderful time in worship that we have already had. Thank you, choir and orchestra, and thank you for this incredible opportunity. Pastor Paul is in the house, and so, but he's not wearing his pastor hat today. He's he's just going to have church with the rest of us. How about that? So uh, we're delighted they're here. I've known your pastor now for more than 20 years, Brother Paul. We supported them from day one in Las Vegas at a couple of different churches, first at Kirby Woods Baptist and then at the church at the cross in Orlando. And so love this wonderful couple. And uh, we've uh, watched this great church down through the decades and we're, we're great friends with your former pastor as well. And uh, just uh, our privilege to be with you today. I am the president of the Baptist College of Florida, and so I bring you greetings from uh, our college, soon to be university, which is just an hour from here. If you leave here going to Graceville, Florida, it'll take you an hour to get there. Now, it'll take you three hours to get back, but uh, it's only an hour to get there. And uh, we are training the next generation and the current generation of Christian leaders. Uh, serving all over the state of Florida and around the world. We have 4,500 graduates. About 2,500 of those are serving vocationally in churches. I think there's several here in, in your church as well who went to the Baptist College of Florida. And so thank you for this opportunity. We're just privileged to be here and pray God will work in our hearts together today. I want you to open your Bible to the book of Jude. Find the book of Revelation. That's the very last book in the Bible. And then there's one page before the book of Revelation. It's the book of Jude. Now, don't ask me which chapter. There's, there's only one chapter in the book of Jude. There's just 25 verses. So that's why it says, oh, wow, if you, if you don't know, the, you might have thought I was going to preach on two chapters this morning. No, just two verses. And I want to speak to you on the subject of standing while others fall. Now, in the time of the New Testament, there was incredible movement of God to save people and draw people out of darkness to light, to give them eternal life. And, and the gospel was multiplying and spreading all over the earth, as Paul said in the book of Colossians. There were signs and wonders and churches being planted, people being called out of all vocations and walks of life into ministry. It was an unparalleled time of growth in the midst of persecution. At the same time, you might be surprised to find there was apostasy. There were those who would profess faith in Christ, be baptized, and begin to suffer for his name, and they would fall away and deny the Lord and become apostate. They'd begin to live debased lives in all types of perversion and sexual perversion as well. And some of them tried to incorporate that into their faith and syncretize the gospel. And the apostles would deal with that in the writings of Scripture. In the book of Jude, Jude, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus, is writing to warn believers about this and to exhort them to earnestly contend for the faith, to stand while others were falling. You see, Jude wrote to a group of believers who were watching many of their peers fall away. They were denying the faith. They were disrupting the fellowship and devoting themselves to sexually impure, immoral lifestyles. Sound familiar? 
I mean, it's a significant part of our own generation. And every family and every one of us have been touched by it personally. We've seen it in our own lives and our own networks. So how do you stand when others fall? Look at what Jude said in verse 24 and verse 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling or falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior who alone is wise be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Jude wanted us to have Christian confidence, a little bit of Christian swagger, now, we've probably gotten too much swagger in the flesh, but this is swagger in the spirit, some confidence, some boldness in your life to understand that God is able to make me stand when others fall. God is able to keep me. God is able to finish the work he started in my life. Now, I, I enjoy studying World War II. It started when I was a kid because my best friend Jimmy's dad had fought in World War II and Jimmy was like the uh-oh baby. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> like, uh, uh, Mama had Jimmy when Mama was kind of, didn't know, uh-oh, we're, we're pregnant, you know. And so, well, Jimmy's dad had fought in the Battle of Midway, World War II. And so we reenacted the Battle of Midway as kids. In fact, his dad had some old equipment, and we'd set it up like that. And if you know anything about that battle, it really changed the war in the Pacific realm because the Japanese were uh, owning the day. They had destroyed most of our Navy at Pearl, and they were coming in, and we had uh, figured out that, okay, Midway was going to be their next attack. They had four carriers in a carrier group. Now, we didn't have four carriers total. And they had four in just one group going to attack Midway. And stationed on the USS Enterprise was a pilot named Dick Best. Dick Best had finished at Annapolis, and he wanted to be a, a bomber pilot, and ended up decided to be a dive bomber pilot where he would fly his plane basically straight down into one of these aircraft carriers and then drop a bomb and then fly back out. Well, that morning, the Battle of Midway, Dick Best, along with his squadron, attacked these carriers and they left two of them on fire. And he made it back to his carrier, the Enterprise, with only two other of his pilot friends out of his entire squadron. And that afternoon, those three pilots took off to go back into that mess. Now, in the morning, they had cover, and the Japanese had to uh, try to stop all of their torpedo bombers. But in the afternoon, they had no cover, just three little planes. And Dick Best flew his plane down into one of those carriers, dropped his load, and destroyed that carrier. And it really turned the tide of the war. And he made it back alive. He'd never fly again because of the fumes that he inhaled. 
But it was Dick Best who said, we're not going to stop, we're not going to stand down, we're not going to hesitate, we're going to stand while others have fallen. And I pray to God today that each one of us would find a Christian confidence, not in ourselves, but in God to be able to stand. I want to show you three simple principles that this verse teaches us about how to stand while others fall. The first one is we rely upon the power of Christ to stand. It's the power of Christ now unto him who is able to keep you from falling. A believer ought to be full of confidence, but not confidence in ourselves, but confidence, faith in Jesus Christ. You see, Christ is the one who brought me out of darkness into light and Christ is the one who'll keep me now in the light. It is Christ who will cause me to stand. It is Christ who lives in me, the hope of glory that gives me the ability to stand. You see, another word for confidence is the word faith. My faith is in Christ and Him alone. If you've done any witnessing for the Lord and I haven't, idea that most of you have then you've had people say to you I don't want to pray that I don't want to ask Christ to save me because I don't want to be a hypocrite right I'm afraid I, I'll mess this up well friend not only do you give your life to Christ and you trust in him to give you salvation and redemption but you trust in him to save you every day of your life to keep you to consecrate you, to walk with you through life. My hope is not in myself. It rests in his ability. It's not in my flesh or my determination or my stamina or my will. I trust in the presence of Christ. I trust in the power of Christ in my life. He is the one who is able to keep you from falling. When those around you fall, he will keep you. The Bible says in Hebrews 7, Therefore he is able to save them to the uttermost who come to God by him. In Romans 16 in verse 25, He is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. And in Ephesians 3 in verse 20, He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations. I'm not trusting in myself. I'm not even trusting in my church. Though I've got a lot of faith in the people around me to watch me, I'm trusting in the power of Jesus Christ, not only to save me, but now to keep me, to make me stand. It rests in his ability, not in my own. It rests in his activity. The Bible says, to him who is able. That's his power. But then he says, to keep you from falling or stumbling. This word translated keep is translated guard. It's the same word that's used in Acts 23 when Paul is held under guard. When Paul's in Herod's praetorium, same word used in Luke 8, 
29. It's the same word used of the Gadarene demoniac that they, they guarded him. In Acts 28, it's used of Paul being guarded. It's used in Acts chapter 12 when Peter was in jail. He was guarded. The Bible says that our God guards us that Jesus Christ himself keeps us, that he shields us, that he protects us, that he stands guard over our lives. And while we face an active devil who seeks to destroy us, the Lord said to Peter, Peter, Satan has asked for you that he might sift you like wheat. The devil had to ask the Lord to put a hand on Peter. And the Lord said, but I have prayed for you. Now, I've often thought, Lord, just tell him no when he asks for me. You know, <laughs> I mean, just no. And then there's that whole Job story. It gets a little disturbing sometimes, doesn't it? Because God's, he's bragging on Job and he's doing it to the devil. I mean, he's spiking the football about Job. Have you considered my servant Job? It was the Lord that brought up Job's name. It wasn't a devil. And the devil said, well, the only reason he serves you is because you bless him. You take away his blessings and you wash, he will curse you. And the Lord shrunk the hedge around Job, but he didn't remove it. He just shrunk it. And he kept him. He's still guarded. The Bible presents three beautiful pictures of how the Lord guards us. The Bible says he guards us like a shepherd guarding sheep. John chapter 10. Now, I don't know if you've had the privilege to go to Israel or to see how the shepherds work there. In antiquity, the, the shepherds would take care of their sheep and at night they would put them in a pen or a in an area, an arena, if you will. Now, don't think wood and fencing. Think stone. They'd take the limestone that was easily hewn, but it was porous, and they would make it into a pen, and they would leave an opening just about the size of the shepherd. And at night, the shepherd would put all the sheep into that, that pen, that, that wall-enclosed arena, and then the shepherd would lay down at the mouth of that arena. He'd take his staff there with him and the shepherd would sh sleep at the mouth of that arena. So when a wolf came, when an enemy came to come after his sheep, he'd have to come through the shepherd. When one of the sheep wanted to get out of the fold, They'd have to go across the shepherd. When you gave your life to Jesus Christ, the shepherd put a seal and a guard on your heart and he is watching after you today. My sheep hear my voice. They follow me. And I tell you, he guards us. He keeps us. There's a beautiful picture in the scripture of a father guarding his children. In Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of the book of Hebrews talks about when we sin and how our Father chastises us. And when we are chastised, you, you ever blown it? I mean, you just ever 
You ever messed up real bad? Yeah, that, nobody raised their hands. We, we all know. We really do. And, uh, and the Lord chastise you, discipline you, correct you. Now, I don't know about you, but when I get corrected by the Lord, I, I tend to want to get down a little bit. And yet, in that very text, the whole purpose of the text is to say, do not be discouraged when you are chastised by the Lord. Now, wait a minute. My response is to be discouraged because I blew it. I brought shame on myself. I've hurt somebody else or multiple others. I've even grieved the Holy Spirit. The Lord says, when I chastise you and correct you, you realize that I only do that with my children. only do that with my kids and so don't be discouraged because that that means you're one of my kids you see the Lord guards us everything that comes in our life the Holy Spirit of God is watching he's convicting he's speaking about it and he will correct his children as he guards them I talked to somebody this week who was having to correct an employee they were going to have to have a hard conversation. And they were really concerned about doing it. Like, ooh, I don't know if I can do this or not. And I said, how many kids do you have? And they were telling me about their, they got grown children. I said, you have no problem hard coaching them, do you? She said, no, not a bit. I mean, she'd tee off on those kids. You know why? She loves them too much to let them go a, the wrong direction. And I said, you just need to love this person who's working with you. Sit down with them. Tell them the truth. Help them go the right direction. The Bible says open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. The Bible says the wounds of a friend are faithful, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. It's interesting. You take that text. You better watch out for those who are they kissing you. They after something. You better be careful. Your friends, they'll wound you because they love you. And the Father will come and protect you. It's the Father that's been dealing with you this week. It's the Father that's been knocking at your door. When you close those eyes at night, it's the Father who's been coming and talking to you about what's going on in your life. Like a shepherd and his sheep, like a father and his children, and then like a husband over his wife. He guards us. In Ephesians chapter 5, he lays down his life for the church so that he might present us unto himself. He'll lay down his life for you. He already has once and he's doing that every day. You see, his activity is to guard me. And you need to empower the guard by submitting to him, by allowing him to lead you, by listening to his voice. He's convicting you. He's drawing you. See, my, my confidence is not in myself. It's in his ability. It's in his activity. And it's in his ministry. The Bible says, Now unto him who's able to keep you from falling and then to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Our Lord is going to finish the work he has started in our lives. 
all the way to completion. He's reconciled us to God through his finished work on the cross. When Jesus died for you, he said, it is finished. He paid for your sin debt in full, all of your past sin, all your present sin, all your future sin. And not only did, was that efficient and sufficient for you judiciously, but it is also experientially. We often quote 1 John 1, 9, but we rarely catch the nuanced meaning in it if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That's the judicial requirement of the death of Jesus Christ, to bring forgiveness, the legal requirement. He has reconciled us to God. He has propitiated our sin. He has atoned for our sin. We now have been made righteous before Jesus Christ. But then, he says, to cleanse us. That's the experiential reality of the sin in my life. It has defiled me. It has damaged me. It has caused my heart to be stained. I have a propensity toward it. The flesh has such power in my life. But Jesus Christ, when he died, he took away the power of that now. I've been set free from the law of sin and death. Now, what I could not do in the flesh, Christ has done on my behalf now. And he is able to keep me from falling and to present me faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Mm. There is coming a day. You got kids, you know what it's like. Say, hey, I want to introduce you to one of my kids. I want to introduce you to one of my children. Well, the Bible says one day the Lord Jesus Christ is going to introduce you to the Father. I want to introduce you. I've redeemed him. I've cleansed him. And it's going to be a moment of great joy for you and I. And when we stand there, all of that junk that I did, all the wrong that I've done, that's not going to be a part of it. It's only going to be a clean soul that Jesus Christ has redeemed, standing before the Father, faultless, not in my own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Jesus Christ now. And it's going to be a joyous moment. Paul said in Philippians 3 that I want to know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, if by any means I may attain to the out-resurrection of the dead and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Now, if you have a constructed theology that includes a confidence in the finished work of Christ, but it excludes a confidence in the continuing work of Christ in your life, you have a flawed theology. You see, I don't come to Christ to get saved just as I am and think that now I have to keep myself so back here, I trusted in Jesus, but today, I got to trust in me. Now, when I give my life to Christ, 
I am made whole before the Father, but Christ now lives inside of me and he's going to continue that work every day in my life so that I was saved, I'm being saved today. I got saved today. You got saved today if you know Jesus because salvation happens in three tenses, three times. It happened the day I was saved and then every day of my life I'm being saved. And then ultimately I will be saved. Now some of you are troubled, but you'll figure that out. You see, God is working in me both to will and to do of his good pleasure today. I'm working out my own salvation in fear and trembling. He's working in me. And while I'm laboring in the grace, I am what I am by the grace of God. But his grace toward me was not in vain because I labored more abundantly than them all. Yet not I, but Christ that worked in me. And him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we might present every man perfect in Jesus Christ. To this end, I labor striving according to his working which works in me mightily. Christ is working in you today to guard you, to keep you. And he's going to finish that work. And if you will confess your sin, he will forgive you and then he will clean you up. Mm. Of all unrighteousness. You see, we rely upon the power of Christ to stand, but we also rely upon the person of Christ to stand. That's your next blank. The person of Christ. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior who alone is wise. Our Savior to God. That's who we trust. Our position is in Christ and he can deliver upon the promises that he has made to you and I. He is the person to do it in our life. And he is in a position to do it. You're not saved by your grandmother, your mom, some ancestor. You're not saved by some saint. You're saved by Jesus Christ who is God and our Savior. You see, Jesus is God. He was God. And he is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The one who keeps you is not an angel that Jesus dispatches to guard you. It is himself, the God of the universe, the one who forgave sins, the one who is the judge of all the earth, the one who said he had all power, the one who created everything, Jesus who is self-existent, the one who takes up his life and lays it down again, the one who could bestow life upon others, Jesus, the one who answered prayer and received Stephen's spirit. It is Jesus who possessed the prerogatives of deity, of God. It was Jesus who was worshipped by the Magi and only God is to be worshipped. It is Jesus who was worshipped by the Gadarene demoniac when he was delivered. It was Jesus who was worshipped by Thomas because only God is to be worshipped. And before the ascension, the Bible says all the disciples worshipped Jesus Christ because he 
is God. The Bible called him God. Paul would write, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him. And if you come back tonight, we'll talk about that text some more. And we'll talk about how Jesus is the satisfier of the soul. Friend, what you need for victory today is the presence and person of Jesus Christ. He's the one that saved you to begin with. He's the one that will fill you and empower you today to live as he wants and has you all. You see, Jesus is God and Jesus is for us. He's for us. He's not against you. He's able to deliver that which he promised. When you are tempted, the Bible says, do not say I'm tempted by God. For God does not tempt anyone to evil. But when you are tempted, you are led away by your own desires. And when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, it brings forth death. God's not the one tempting you. And it certainly was not the Lord Jesus who tempted Peter. And it was not the Lord Jesus who put Job in that position and tempted him. But the Bible clearly says the Spirit of God will put us in places where we will be tempted and tested. The Bible says of Jesus that he was driven into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted 40 days. It was the Lord who brought up Job's name to the devil. Peter was sifted like wheat because the Lord gave him that opportunity. And even the thorn in the flesh was given to Paul. The Bible says it was a thorn in the flesh a messenger of Satan. It was the devil's idea. And the Lord permitted it that he could display his glory in Paul. Listen, God is for you. Now some of you are doubting that today. Some of you are in such a moment of pain, of confusion, You're struggling. Maybe it's with a sexuality issue or an identity issue. Maybe it's with a betrayal, the falling away of others, corruption of someone else that now has broken your heart. And, and, And you're troubled today. Friend, my admonition for you is to trust in the Lord. In Psalm 40, the psalmist said, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. You haven't seen the whole story. Paul prayed three times for that thorn to be taken away. And I don't think that's three little casual prayers. You know, he didn't just step in the tower over here three times and prayed. No, I think it was seasons. Seasons of fasting and praying for God to take away this thorn. And the Lord left it right there in his life. And it troubled Paul. That's why he kept coming back and praying. I've done a lot of 
jail ministry and prison ministry down through my time. And uh, Now, there's a difference between jail and prison. If you're, ble you're blessed, if you don't know the difference, that's okay. But uh, jail's kind of short-term. Prison's sort of long-term, okay? And, and so you do jail ministry. You're working with those that are waiting on trial. They're there less than a year. You do prison ministry. You're with the ones that have already been sentenced. They're going to be there for a while. Well, there's a tradition in prisons that uh, you probably haven't heard of, but in prisons they love to read fiction. Uh, and new fiction books, especially by acclaimed authors who write in series, are under high demand at prison libraries. And so normally there's a waiting list, and there's a bit of jockeying to get on that list to read the, the latest piece of fiction from this one author whoever gets first to the list gets the first shot at it and there's a horrible tradition the tradition is when you finish that book and you're the first one to read it before it goes back in the library you tear out one two maybe three pages out of the book just to torment the others and you pick the pages that are the most pivotal to the storyline so that they're going to be confused they're not going to know what happened. And it's going to be left a total mystery. And so some of you are reading the story of your life right now. And it's like there's some pages torn out. Like I don't get what God's doing right now. I don't get what's going on in my family. I don't see how this is possibly going to be Romans 8, 28. And it's, it's caused you to, to doubt. You've had a bout with doubt. You hadn't told anybody, but you're on the fence, and you're struggling. And the Bible says when you're, when you're doubting, you're, you're like you're tossed to and fro by every wind. You're unstable. You're, you've lost your spiritual equilibrium right now. But friend, just because you don't know the whole story doesn't mean there's a whole story. <laughs> God said, Paul, yes, that thorn was the devil's idea. And it's not good. But I'm going to use it for good. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. And then Paul went on and said, Therefore I glory in my infirmities, knowing that in my weakness the power of Christ is made known. Listen, you need some depth in your faith and God's building it in. You see, we rely upon the person of Christ to stand, trust Him, just like you trust one of your dear loved ones. Trust Jesus Christ. Believe in Him. And then finally, we rely upon the presence of Christ to stand. The presence of Christ. To God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. I'm at peace with my past. Yeah, there are parts of it. I wish they weren't in the story, but I'm at peace with it. I'm at peace with my present. 
Yeah, there's some stuff in my life I wish wasn't there. There's some stuff in my family. There's some stuff in, that I have to deal with. Absolutely. But I'm at peace. I'm at peace with my future because I know who holds the future for me. It's Jesus Christ. I know who I believed in. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him until that day. And my past sins do not control my present. Amen. Sin had a hold of me at one point in my life, but Jesus Christ has broke the power of that sin in my life. We sing my chains are gone and we believe it because they really are. I've been set free and saved. And failure around me does not produce failure in me. We have witnessed down through these many years of ministry brothers that we had incredible respect for fall. But their falling does not produce failure in me. You have seen marriages close to you fail, but that failure does not mean failure in you. You've had friends and family members fall away, but their failure does not mean failure in you. I'm kept by the power of Jesus Christ. Amen. They went out from us, for they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would not have gone out from us. He's going to finish what he started in me. He's going to present me before the Lord. You know, the word predestination is a word that makes most people sweat if you hear it in church. It's like, oh, my Lord. Predestination. You know, the most, the verse that talks about that is right after Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good. For those who love God, those who are the called according to his person, purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, what's people get twisted around the word predestined and they miss the beauty of the passage. God has already predetermined that he's going to finish the work he started in your life. Conformed into the image of his son does not mean an internal spiritual reality. It means an external physical reality. We're going to receive his glorified body. Conformed into the image of his son. The word image is the word icon. We're going to get his body I'm going to be raised one day. It's not going to be this flesh, this corruption, this, this mortality. It's going to be raised incorruptible. I'm going to stand in a new resurrected body, faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, this text says. You see, he's predestined to conform us to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Jesus Christ determined that he would save a people for himself and for his Father. And then we're going to party together for all eternity. 
That's what we're going to do. No more sin. No more sorrow. No more funerals. No more sickness. No more disease. No more moral failure. No more perversion. No more war. No more hurricanes. No more cancer. No more heart disease. No more of this. We're going to live forever faultless in His presence with exceeding joy. Now, if that doesn't even make a Baptist want to shout, something has gone wrong. How am I able to stand when others have fallen and when others are failing? My trust is in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me this morning? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. It could be today you need to come to this altar and pray about a loved one or a friend you know that's in a valley of brokenness in a moment of vulnerability. It could be you need to come and speak with a pastor, one of these precious godly women, about something going on in your family, in your life, in your work, in your health, or more importantly, in your soul. Friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ today, come today. If you've been trusting in yourself to make you right with God, come today. Find wholeness in Christ. Father, thank you that Jesus Christ died for our sin. And thank you, Lord, that he will keep us until the day of redemption when we are presented before him. Now unto him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us faultless in the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and honor and dominion and power in this age in the age to come. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Hey, I want you to stand to your feet. Our pastors are here. These brothers and sisters are going to lead us. And you move as God has impressed upon your heart today as we sing and while we wait.